there are men who think that short attention span theater is what happens when you fall asleep during the first act of Brigadoon. There are men who think Art Bell is that radio guy who talks about UFOs at 3 a.m. And then there's Doug Bost and Adam Bernstein, two men who should have better things to do but aren't doing them right now. These are two grown-ass men. Grown-ass men. With special grown-ass guest, Doug's former boss and author of the book Constant Comedy, Art Bell. Welcome to Grown-Ass Men. Yeah, great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Doug, you look exactly the same except for the beard. Yeah, the beard is really coming in. You look exactly the same as well, except for the back, the, the wooden cabinet, I would say. You know, when people say that to me after 30 years, I just think, man, I must have looked awful Terrible. 30 years yeah. ago. <laughs> like, who, who, what's wrong with that guy? <laughs> Doug has a lot of questions and he knows you and he has a lot of, All right. I just want to say one thing and then I'm going to be a little bit more quiet. First of all, I enjoyed your book a lot. Oh, thank you very much. But it's traumatizing. <laughs> it's traumatizing. It's about every single person who worries what the bosses think of them and they don't really know. And you're going through that at every job you ever have. Yeah, That's but you know something? Let me just point out, it's a memoir. And most people have the same kind of feelings, but they just don't talk about them. I mean, I wasn't talking about that stuff at work, you know. <laughs> no, I bet not. I wanted to kind of give a really um, realistic representation of what I was thinking and feeling and everything else. Because, you know, if, are we, if you write memoir and you don't turn yourself inside out, Nobody cares. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not interesting. Art's book is a great book, constant comedy about the founding of Comedy Central and originally the Comedy Channel. Right. The full title is Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. <laughs> and the subtitle is really about the difficulty, you know, of that period of my life. Not thought. Listen, I, I don't want to give the impression that my life at that time, or the you know experience of starting comedy, was the greatest greatest adventure of my life. I had loads of fun. It was that kind of mix of comedy and tragedy <laughs> that, <laughs> that I wanted to you know to to get across, mostly to inform people that comedy. Central was not launched out of a cannon, fully formed, wildly successful, and exactly the way you see it now. I mean, it's this month is the 30th anniversary of Comedy Central. We launched Comedy Central 30 years ago, April 1st. And, you know, that's, that's quite something. Um, but there's a lot of people now who are probably, who probably watch it and thought, you know, we have no idea where it came from. What was there before? Maybe it was always there. It's yeah. always been there. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. It's just hanging there like I mean, a I, fog. Your book is its very funny and very informative. It's got great anecdotes, not just about you, but about, uh, you know, a lot of the executives, but also like a lot of the comics who you worked with as right. um, the Comedy Channel was starting. I have to say, I know you because 
I got a job working uh, at the Comedy Channel, originally at HBO, working with Josh Lebowitz and Trish Cosgrove and Ed Wyman and Dave Sirwatka. And I often tell people, I got hired originally as a clipper. Cliptomaniac, we called you. Yeah, well, we didn't call ourselves cliptomaniacs, but yes. <laughs> but you knew that had, was what we called you, though. I all, I, I'll <laughs> live with that. Uh, I have to tell you, it, I often tell people it was the best job I ever had or will ever have. Oh, it that's was, so nice to hear. Well, it was the most fun job you could possibly imagine because at the beginning of starting the comedy channel, it was all clips. Right. And so not to steal your thunder, but what I had to do was watch the Ernie Kovacs show, the Jack Benny show, you bet your life, um, all the naked gun movies, you know, whatever was comedy and it was stand up, it was TV, it was movies and pull things that were shorter than two minutes and 13 seconds. Right. Make a reel every day of the funniest things I found and bring them to a room the next morning where I would try to make everybody laugh. <laughs> and then they would either laugh or they wouldn't laugh. And then I'd go back and do it again for the rest of the day. It was, there's nothing, <laughs> I, if I could be doing that right now, I would do that. That's so interesting. You know, a lot of people say, whether they were a kleptomaniac or something else, that the comedy channel was the best job they ever had. Because it was, it was a crazy, creative, explosively creative period for lots and lots of people, you know, doing things they'd never done before that they were maybe never expected to do before uh, or ever. And we're just having the time of their lives. And I was included. I mean, you know, again, it was very hard. I felt a lot of the pressure on me because I had pitched the idea of the channel and I was surprised as anybody else that Michael Fuchs, the chairman of HBO said, okay, let's do it. But I felt personally responsible because, you know, at the time you were working as a kleptomaniac, we had, I don't know, 400 people working there. So, you know, yeah. we had to make it successful or else everybody was going to lose their jobs, which would have made me feel terrible, especially since I was one of the guys who would have lost his job. <laughs> and I sure didn't want to do that. So, yeah, it was a very, very intense time, but lots of fun, lots of creativity and it, lots of improvisation to figure out what to do to make things better, to make the channel better, to keep it going. How do you really pick up from the book? You feel like everyone's just flying by the seat of their pants. Like, <laughs> you know, what is that? The whole story with uh, Dennis. Oh, Dennis Miller. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, he's peed yeah. in the bucket. What are we going to do now? You yeah, know, he was like, live on television and he had to go to the bathroom. So he just stood up and went into the hall and peed into a garbage can, which, you know, again, the story is funny for so many, for so many reasons, but it was really funny because he thought he killed his career. Right. He finished the broadcast. He was on air by himself. It was a state of the union undressed where he was making comments about, I guess it was Bill Clinton's state of the union address. And Bill Clinton, as we all know, always went long and he had to go. So that's what happened. But at the end of the thing, after he finished, he ran out and he said, I just killed my career. And he was distraught. And he ran down the hall, around the corner, into the men's bathroom. Uh, and I had to talk him off the ledge at that point. 
<laughs> but but that was just a great story about live television, how crazy live television can be. You have a bunch of great stories in there about live television. I love your story about Bill Maher and the story about Al Franken is great. Oh, Al Franken, I want to start at the yeah. beginning for a second. Like what, yeah, sure. what year did you first pitch the Comedy Channel? And who did you pitch it to? Well, I, I actually, I think it was around 1987. I pitched it first. And I had had this idea for quite a long time, years. Uh, mostly because I wanted to work at a comedy network. And I was confused that there wasn't one. I loved comedy since I was a kid. There was an all music channel at that point there was an all news channel there was an all sports channel like you seriously no comedy channel i expected in any minute somebody was going to announce that they were launching anyway so they didn't so finally i got enough courage to make an appointment with bridget potter she was the head of programming at hbo and you know considered rightly so some kind of a genius because she, you know, she had made HBO so successful with her program, with the programming. But I, you know, I made an appointment with her. I went to her office. I said, um, Bridget, thanks for seeing me. I have an idea. I think HBO should launch an all comedy network, 24-7 comedy. And she said, stop right there. That is the worst idea I've ever heard. And let me tell you why. And she proceeded for the next 15 minutes to tell me why. Uh, you know, no comedians would want to be on it. There's enough comedy on television already. Why would HBO risk the reputation? She had plenty of reasons to say no. And it was a lesson in trying to do something, anything different at a corporation that was successful. Because it's easier for people. And I don't, you know, I, do, people say, oh, my God, you must have felt like she was crazy. No, she was w doing what most people do at corporations. It's easier to say no than to say yes, because if you say yes, okay, now now I'm in it. Now I no. gotta now I gotta do something. Right. So she said no. And I walked out of there and I thought to myself, well, she's wrong. And you know, the next opportunity I got to pitch it was a few weeks later when I was taken into Michael Fuchs' office by my boss's boss, a guy named Larry Carlson. And Larry said, you know, asked me what I was working on. And I showed him and he said, Michael Fuchs has to see this. So he walked me into Michael's office. And Michael Fuchs is, at the time, he's the head of HBO. This is Home Box Office. Listen, Michael Fuchs is the head of HBO. At the time, he was also declared the most powerful man in Hollywood by the New York Times magazine. He wow. felt like a studio mogul to me. when I would That's right. That's what he was. He was a studio mogul. I mean, if I accidentally got in the elevator with Michael, I was a low-level employee. If I got in the elevator with Michael accidentally, I'd break into a sweat. I mean, you know, this guy can make a break your career in a heartbeat. But I pitched my heart out. He did ask me along the way, what does Bridget think about it? Did <laughs> <laughs> you talk to her? And I said, yeah, she was lukewarm. But, you know, I, I answered his questions, and he, he thought it was a good idea. Now, Michael was the right audience. Michael loved comedy. As a matter of fact, Michael Fuchs was the guy who was responsible before he was chairman of HBO for getting all those stand-up specials and, you know, one-hour comedy specials, all that stuff on HBO. He loved it. So he was the right audience. Um, comic Relief? Yeah, well, he did Comic Relief, but at that, yes. But I'm saying, you know, Robert Klein had his first comedy special on HBO when? 1976? 77 like right after right after they went on the uh on the satellite 
Mm-hmm. Those Mike- were the first uh, comedy specials I ever saw. I moved to Fort Lee, New Jersey in 1976. Right. And that HBO we had was the first time we had anything like that. Before right. that, we just had the whatever nine channels they had back right. then. It's sad that you had to move to Fort Lee. I guess you moved there to get the, get cable, so you get yeah, well, HBO. Yeah, that's the reason we went. <laughs> so many people went to Fort Lee for just that reason. <laughs> HBO's claim to fame was uncut, unedited. And they were talking first about movies, but then, you know, when it got into the comedy, you know, you couldn't see Robin Williams act anywhere in the world unless you were in a club with him live or you saw it on HBO, uncut, uncensored, and all that stuff. I mean, you know, other other networks came up behind us, Showtime and, uh, you know, even cable networks got a little more risque. But um, at that point, that was HBO. And they made their reputation. Let me tell you something. They grabbed comedy. And that's that's one of the things I said to them when I was pitching. Like, hey, you guys own comedy. You don't want to lose that ownership. You want to make you want to make sure you stay the middle of the com you know the center of the comedy universe, and you don't want it to go to A and E, for example, who was running a- evening at the Improv every night at seven thirty. They were the other guys who were known for comedy on television, if you can believe that. Yeah. You pitched the idea in eighty seven. Yeah, eighty seven. And then the Comedy Channel actually launched in ninety one. Comedy Central launched in ninety one. Comedy Channel, which is where you worked, yes. Doug, yeah. as a kleptomaniac. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say once again, yes, go ahead. If you want to check the book, just to make sure. But yeah, it, you know, we went we went on the air in eighty nine, November eighty nine. That sounds that sounds right. November eighty nine. So it took us a while to f- sort of, you know, it wasn't like Michael said, okay. Let's try it. And then it was on the air a month later. It was Let's Try It. And then I was teamed up with the head of HBO Comedy, Stu Smiley, and Fran Shea, who you may remember, was a, the head of on-air promotion at HBO, very talented. Mm-hmm. She went on to be the head of E! for years, president of E! Um, and we were charged with putting a, a demo tape together, you know, make sure the concept worked. I had to do research. You know, we had to research the thing. Uh, with audiences. And I had to put together a presentation showing the financials and what the, you know, talking about what it was all going to look like and what the competition was. I mean, it was a new business. It was like being an entrepreneur. And it better be funny. Your and pit. it better be, well, it better be funny, but you know, it better make money. It was the other thing. You know, I mean, this was a new business. These executives had to consider whether they were going to do this. So that took a period of months and months. I mean, that wasn't like, you know, the next day at that meeting, we were given the green light. Michael said, I want it up and running by November of, uh, of 90. So that's what we did. <laughs> Alan Havey, Rachel Sweet, Tommy Sledge, Rich Hall, the Higgins boys and Gruber. Won't you join us? God forbid you should do something useful and constructive with your time. The Comedy Channel. We're having a good time. We're doing our part. I was working as a clipper for uh, the Comedy Channel and Comedy Central. I loved it. I worked as a producer. I would go down and and sort of produce the clips. And we had that, um, remember that we had that Chiron that would come up that we called the violator that looked so ugly. It was like a yellow and black stripe that would say the name of who was performing or whatever. That was a fun uh, job working with the editors. And then I worked on a couple of the shows as a a writer also. Oh, did you? On 
short attention span theater and stand up stand up and short attention span theater was where it, i don't think it was actually the first place that john stewart hosted a show because i think he'd already done it on mtv Patty Rossborough, Short Attention Span Theater, Comedy Central, Hairdo Day! It's Hairdo Day! It was pretty early in his career. I don't think he'd host it, because he went to MTV and hosted a show. That was afterwards. He had been on the Young Comedian special or something on HBO, which is kind of where we found him. But this was like a big deal for John to get on this show, because it was, you know, it was every day, and, and it was a lot of screen time, you know, television time for him. And he was great. He was great from the get-go. I mean, you know, you could... You could tell in a minute that he was going to be one of the stars. Yeah, he was really great. And it's an interesting story you tell about what happens with, with um, he, he was co-hosting with Patty Rossborough and right. just working out exactly. Yeah, it wasn't working out. Patty was basically told, you know, she was basically let go by, uh, by the producers because they thought John was doing such a great job. And Patty was basically the audience, you know, John was talking and Patty was laughing. Which I thought was pretty cool. I mean, you know, watching from where I was watching, I thought that was working. But I could see how Patty wasn't kind of holding up the rent completely, especially compared to John. So John was incensed. He was out of his mind crazy. Threatened to quit the show because he said, you can't do that. You can't just fire my partner like that. Um, she's part of the show. We were working together. Nobody really consulted with me on the decision. You know, it's ridiculous. You can't just fire somebody. Right. And I'm thinking, we're working in corporate America. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Um, but somehow it felt to me to go down and talk to him. You know, John's really mad. I, I guess other people had tried, and he was just adamant that he was going to quit. So they said, all right, go down and talk to him. So I went down and had the conversation with him. And at that point, as he was explaining how incensed he was, I realized that John was not only a very funny guy, and very smart, but he's also empathetic, you know, and sensitive, and he really cared about stuff. Stuff being, in this case, his partner, his fellow uh, host, Patty, and felt terrible for her, and wanted us to make it right. I eventually, I guess, helped, you know, whatever I said was helpful, and he didn't quit. But I just thought at that point, man, that is John Stewart. Did you find that his level of loyalty was unusual? for comedians, you know, like to actually care you know what, about I'll, I'll tell you something. Like I, I, at that point, I wasn't sophisticated enough to really kind of think through that. But thinking back on it, you know, you put two people on the air and say, okay, you guys are co-hosting, good luck. And I, I mean, we've seen this in like, you know, depictions of newsrooms and stuff. You know, they're whispering in the producer's ear constantly, hey, you know what? I could do this by myself. I don't really need a co-host yeah. for this kind of stuff. You know, and that... That because they want more screen time, they want more notice, they want more credit. Can you imagine? You know, Bill Maher was a completely different kettle of fish, and I tell some stories about him. If you put him there with a co-host, he, he would have killed the guy, right? <laughs> or, yeah, right? He would have had them, you know, taken out one way or another. Uh, and, and maybe that's not fair to Bill because he did actually he did host Short Attention Span Theater for a little while. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, most, I wouldn't say it was just comedians. I would say it was television personalities. Right. They'd rather do it themselves. Yeah. He went after you in your book. You have a lot of, this is a big story about Bill going after oh, you. Oh, Bill Moore. Yeah. 
I did a, a marketing campaign for a show that he didn't like, and I hadn't shown it to him in advance. And the reason I didn't show it to him in advance is because I knew he wouldn't like it. <laughs> because I knew Bill well enough at that point to know, this was only about six or eight months into his show. I knew Bill well enough at that point to know that whatever we put in front of him, whatever campaign it was, he wouldn't like it, you know? And he'd say, no, no, that's not working here. Take it back and try again. And then I thought, okay, well, we could do this for the rest of our lives, <laughs> trying to get a Bill Maher campaign out. So I showed everybody else and everybody thought, okay, fine. You know, it's a good campaign. Bill came flying at me, you know, how dare you basically. And, and he said he was going to get me fired. And I tell that story in the book exactly the way it happened. It's amazing how much dialogue, which is what it was, how much conversation you remember about moments like that. I mean, it was just, as I was writing it, it was becoming clearer and clearer what was said. Mm. And it was, a, it was a moment of terror for me, I got to say. You know, he was our biggest star at the moment, at that moment. And he, he said, I'm getting you fired. I've made calls. You came out on top in a way in the end at that award show. Well, that's that was the, you know, nobody would believe this if I wrote it in a novel, but this did actually happen. Yeah, we um, we were nominated for an award for that show for best marketing outdoor marketing campaign. For the campaign that Bill Maher hated. The campaign that Bill Maher hated. And we're going to the awards. And the head of the advertising agency, I was going to sit with him at the awards, says, You'll never believe who's hosting the awards. I said, oh, he said, Bill Maher. I said, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> what were the chances, right? And Bill had no idea because I never, you know, said anything to him. I didn't know. And he had no idea what the, you know, who was nominated or up for awards. And so the moment when he read and, you know, the, the nominees aren't and he's flipping through it and they're flashing the campaign behind him on a big screen. And he gets to Comedy Central, you know, for Bill Maher, Politically Incorrect. He goes, he turns around and looks at the billboard. He goes, that's advertising. And I just, I cracked up. And then we won. The winner is. It had to come out of Bill's lips, right? One of the things that you got to consider about the events of the book is it was 30 years ago. This is, you know, Comedy Central's 30th anniversary. 30 years ago, a lot's happened since then, you know. One of the great things that happened is, as you know, Doug, people's careers have been incredible. You know, some of the people who started at Comedy Central, I'm sorry, Comedy Channel, it later became Comedy Central, we were there too. They went on to great things. You know, Bill Maher's show is still in existence, if you can believe that. It's basically the same show. Um, I heard actually recently that the reason it's not called politically incorrect which was his name for the show is when he left comedy to go to abc they wouldn't let him take the name mm -hmm. um yeah al franken became a senator that's pretty impressive um you know gail berman was there she became head of paramount pictures head of fox television um scott carter was a producer of of talk shows for years and years we we had him on our podcast recently Actually, the podcast, I don't know if you know we have a podcast. You know we have a podcast? You and, and Vinny. No, I haven't heard it yet. Though. Yeah, Vinny Favalli and I decided that for the 30th anniversary, since Comedy Central didn't seem to be doing much to celebrate, we thought, well, we got to do something. So we decided to put together a podcast of 12 episodes where we were going to have people from back in the day and talk to them about, you know, 
how'd you like the job? How'd you get the job? You know, the stuff Doug was just talking about. Um, and not only that, but about what happened after you left, you know, what your career looked like. Incredible stories. But the whole idea that those people kind of became famous in comedy, you know, went on to head writer for, for Saturday Night Live, you know, I mean, some of the things these people did, incredible. And what about you? You left um, Comedy <laughs> Channel at a certain point. Also you- incredible. <laughs> incredible. In a different <laughs> a way. real incredible story. <laughs> Amazing in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> but you went to Court TV. Yes. You worked at Court TV after that? I went to Court TV. Uh, I was fired from Comedy Central, as you know, because you read the book and I spent a little time on that. I did read and, the book. And that was not a great day for me, but I spent a couple of years consulting. Then I went to Court TV, which was a failed channel. It was, it was as much of a startup, at least as much of a startup as Comedy Central was. You know, when we merged with Ha, which was a competitive comedy channel, we merged Ha and Comedy Channel, and that became Comedy Central. That was like relaunching a channel. Similarly, when we when I got to Court TV, it was a failed channel. Had 25 million subs going south because operators were taking it off the air because they thought it was not very good. And they were going to shut it down and sell it for scrap, basically. We redesigned it as a, a channel about not only courtroom, which we did during the day, but crime and justice and investigation. I mean, you it feels like you're focus is so smart on just saying, why don't we just focus on comedy? Why don't we just keep this about what people want, which is comedy or crime or whatever? I think that's Yeah, great. actually, in both cases, we had to talk in, uh, to talk to ad sales guys into it on several hundred occasions. It was a challenge, but we met the challenge. And of course, as I said, we were so successful, we got bought by Turner who promptly ditched the whole <laughs> the whole format because they didn't like it. Um, <laughs> and they turned it into True TV. Good for them. When you look now at Comedy Central, what do you see and you go, oh, my God, why are they doing that? Nothing. Nothing. Because you know why? My, my original concept for Comedy Central was that it was going to be, and Comedy Channel, the center of the comedy universe. As long as it remained the center. I mean, look, look, it was a cultural icon, has been a cultural icon for years in the comedy community. Comedy Central, I think, really lived up to its name for the last 30 years. And that's all I could hope for. Thank you very much for coming on and talking to us. Thanks for having me. I had fun. It is a pleasure. I I enjoyed your book and it's really nice to meet you and hear some stories. It's it's really a lot of fun to read. All right. That's good. Here's the pitch part. It's available at Amazon and bookstores everywhere. If you want to know more about me or the book, you can go to artbellwriter.com, which is my website. I have a lot of stuff about me and some additional writing because I'm writing still. And uh, it's been great being on your show. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Grown ass man.